Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt, and I'm just going to get right to it, okay? So here's what we're talking about today. We're talking about baptism. We're talking about making a splash, and uh, we're talking about giving our lives over to Christ and being obedient to what Jesus Christ had called us to. And so I just want to go right into it without some kind of crazy, fun introduction, okay? Yeah, you guys are wound up today. I can hear it already. Yeah. Vincent, are you wound up? Vincent, Washington, are you wound up? Yeah, right, whatever. They only knew that because they were competing with you, Vincent. That's the only reason why. So here's this chart that I want you to do. I want you to put yourself on the chart, and you're saying, well, how do I put myself on the chart? Real simple. Zero is like the worst of all evil person in the world. Like, let's just consider zero Adolf Hitler. 100 is Jesus Christ himself, absolute perfection, no wrong. I want you to chart yourself. Where do you place yourself on this chart? Where do you land on this chart right now? Are you, are you 50 or below? Like, let me help you out. Or are you 50 or higher? But let me just tell you this. You ain't 100. I'm telling you right now. You're, that's, not, that's not you. But I may also say you're probably not zero. You're probably not zero either. We're somewhere here, but I know we're not this. I know we're not Jesus. We've all done some things that we regret. We've all done some things that have brought hurt. We've all done some things where we wish we could go back and change. We've all done some things in secret that we know in our heart of hearts was not the right thing to do. We've all done some things that keep us away from this perfect score. So you can put yourself at 99, but let me tell you, you ain't, you ain't 100. Like you've told some lies, you've, you've had some gossip, you've stabbed some people in the back, you've kept some extra money when you should have given it back, you've blown up on people. Let me tell you how the majority of my car, my car rides to church went. Maybe like your car ride this morning went. My dad would get us out of bed and we'd get all together and we'd kind of be very mopey about it and then he would say, boys, get in the car. And then... Five minutes later, boys, get in the car. And then seven minutes later, boys, you get a car. We're going to go worship Jesus. You're going to enjoy it. And if you don't want to go worship Jesus, you're going to see Jesus real soon. <laughs> Maybe that's how your car ride went. I don't know. And I know this, that no one in my family was ever this, 100, ever, ever, ever. This is Jesus. This is like an axe murderer. It's like a cannibal. It's like New England Patriot fans. The team that everyone loves to hate. Sorry, Patriot fans. Listen, you guys have kept the Colts out of the playoffs or, or at least to the Super Bowl for way too long. I'm tired of it, right? Where do you rank yourself on this chart? Like, how good of a person are you? And so, like, maybe you're wondering where you land. I asked a professional in my life, my therapist, my wife. And so I had this series of text messages that went through this last week. Here's what it said. I can't read it over there. A little help for my sermon, honey, ranking zero through 100, zero absolute evil, Hitler, and 100 perfection, Jesus. What number would you give me? <laughs> it's her response. Like very maniacal is how I took the laugh, although she probably did it in a very dainty way. She says, hmm, what day are we talking about? Uh, that will help me figure out my number. Okay, well, come on, just kind of average out the days, sweetheart. And she did. She gave me a number. I'm not going to relate it to you all. <laughs> no way. Listen, she knows me way too well, and I'll be honest with you, she got me higher than I thought. I think she wanted something from me that day, and so she ranked me a little higher, because I ranked myself a little less, but, but it, was still closer, it was still closer to New England Patriot fan than I wanted to be. It wasn't so much Jesus. So where, where do you put yourself on, on this chart? Because I want to give you a couple universal, I want to give you one universal truth followed by a universal question. The universal truth is this, all of us fall short of God's glorious standard. Okay? We're, not, we're not 100. We all know that. We, we know this. 
In our heart of hearts, we know this. And, and, and let's, just, let's just say what number we are at the count of three out loud. Ready? One, two. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Because someone next to you would be like, no, that was way too high. That was way too high. I know you too well. All of us fall short of God's glorious standard. Uh, the scriptures put it like this. Everyone has sinned. That's, that's falling short of God's standard. We didn't make the mark. We've sinned. We've missed the mark. That's what sin means. We've missed God's standard. We've missed God's bullseye from where he wanted us to be. So we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the truth statement. But let me give you the universal question now. How can we be made right with God if we fall short? Even if you are 99, how do you become 100? Because a lot of us think, well, I'll just do better. I'll just do more good. Uh, This last week, we had families here on campus, and this little boy was kind of left alone over in our other section of the building here at Washington, and he was jumping chair to chair to chair. Thought he was Superman. Thought it was like a parkour course or something, you know, and so he's jumping. I'm like, whoa, 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 little guy, little guy, hang on. Let's not jump on the furniture here. And here's what he said to me. Okay, Matt, next time I'll try to do gooder. Gooder, right? Total child perspective. I'll do, I'll do gooder. I'll do a little bit better than I did today. And I think that child mentality creeps into our own life, and we think, you know what? I'm maybe at a 60, 62. I'll do gooder tomorrow, and I'll get to a 63, 64. And if I keep on doing gooder, I'll get better, and I'll increase my score. Here's my thing. Increase it all you want, my friend. You're never going to get perfect again. Why? Because you already did batter. That's why. And so most of us would look at this chart, and we'd say something like this. We'd say, well, you know, I'm okay. I'm all right because good people go to heaven. And, and if I just get to this mark, I'm okay. If it feels good, then I'm okay because God will accept me because I have this thought that good people go to heaven. Here's, here's kind of my issue with this. How good is good enough? Like, where's your line? Where's the magic line for good? Like, is this, is this an election? Like, 51% get you in. Whew, barely made it, right? Enough votes? I got in. Thank God. Whew. Is this, or is this like school? Remember, uh, the great thing about school was you could have a 4.0 or you could have a 1.4, and you're getting the same degree, aren't you? You get the same diploma. That's what I loved about school. Is this like school? Or it doesn't matter if you're an A, a B, a C, minus, maybe even a D, Plus, student, you're going to get the diploma, you're going to graduate to heaven and be with God, it doesn't matter. Like, where is good enough? Is it just barely over 50% where God says, okay, that's it, you're good, and you, 49 and below, you're out, you tried, but not good enough. And if there is some kind of magic line that God has, if there is some mark that God has that says, okay, we're square, we're good, welcome to the kingdom of heaven, get to hang out with God forever and eternity, Why would that not be at 100% if it's a perfect God and he asked us to live up to perfection? Why do you think he'd settle for something less for us? Uh, You ask any honor student, if a 1.4 average is good enough, you know what they're going to tell you? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. 4.0. That's it. That's it. You ask God if 99 is good enough, he's going to say, no. It's not. I've asked for perfection. I have a glorious standard. Let me tell you how this works. Good people, good people are constantly working on performance. They're basing their entire eternity on performance. They're hoping that they can get to the scale where they get close enough, where God says, okay, that's close enough, that's good enough. And, and let me just present this to you. 
If you base being made right with God on performance, you'll never have peace. Because you'll constantly be running, chasing, after trying to do good. And you'll never be able to keep doing good consistently over and over and over and over in perfection again. Friends, if you have salvation based on performance, based on you, you're going to be in big time trouble. Because how good is good enough? Because you can't get to 100. And God has told us throughout the Bible that you need this to get with him. Not 99 or something all the way below. God has told us too that in the scriptures, his view of salvation, his way of salvation is not performance based. Let me tell you the gospel, just kind of the gospel in three simple phrases. The gospel is God made it perfect. We broke it and Jesus came to fix it. And if you can just remember that, that we broke it and Jesus came to fix it, that leads to a simple truth statement about how we're moving towards God. That truth statement is we're not we are not made right with God by what we do for God. So it has nothing to do about climbing this thing towards 100. We are made right with God by accepting what he's done for us. And I think there's a lot of people in this room, and I mean that, a lot, the majority of this room, that even though you wouldn't confess it verbally, you're still running the rat race of religion, and you're still hoping that you're doing so much good that God's saying that is good enough rather than just relying on what Jesus has done. You're spelling salvation, D-O, all the things you got to do, which is how religion is spelled, do. The rituals, the things I need to honor, the things I have to jump through, the hoops and all that stuff. No, no, God says it's not about doing, it's about what has been done for you. Namely, on the cross through Jesus Christ. And it's just accepting now what's been done and recognizing that God fills in the gap, that God takes on the rest and says, you know what? You've come to Jesus, the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only way to salvation, good, done. You may have been a zero, you may have been a 50, you may be a 99, problem. We can't get to God unless we have grace called Jesus Christ. And that leads me to this other truth, simple, simple truth. If that's good people, don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And you're like, well, how can that be? Like, I can be a zero and still go to heaven? Yep. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus taught us moments before he died. Look with me to Luke chapter 23, would you? Luke chapter 23, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the chair rack. It's page 858. The scene is Jesus on the cross. He is flanked left and right by two criminals. They're being executed there between two thieves. And the Romans, just so you know, they had a method for execution that was quick and painless. Did you know the majority of executions by the government of Rome was beheading. It wasn't, it wasn't crucifixion. No, no, they only reserved crucifixion for those that they considered to be zeros, worthless. Crucifixion did two things. Crucifixion was humiliating and excruciating. As a matter of fact, it's where we get the word excruciating from the word crucified, excruciate. They would look at that poor, suffering person on the cross, and they'd say, that looks excruciating. And that was the only term that they could sum it up with. And here Jesus is between these two thieves. These thieves are here. They're zeros. They're nothing. But what did Jesus do to deserve being crucified? Nothing. Nothing. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus went against the religious norm. And the religious norm didn't like Jesus because Jesus said that it's not about rules, it's about relationship. And that stirred up the religious leaders because that took their power away. Because if I can put rules over you, I gain power over you. And Jesus said, it's not about rules, guys. It's not about climbing your way to God. It's about relationship with me, Jesus, to God. And I'll tell you what, the religious leaders hated that. They hated Jesus for that teaching. And so they stirred up the crowd and they backed the, the, the Judea governor of Rome in a corner, Pontius Pilate. And they put him in a corner to, to make sure that Jesus was crucified rather than having every religious Jew riot in the streets of Jerusalem and burn down the city. So Pontius Pilate decided it's better to have one man die, even if it's unjust, than to have the whole city destroyed. Crucify him. So here we get into Luke chapter 23. Look at verse 32 with me. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And I love the word that Luke chooses to state who these men are as zeros because he doubles down on what Rome has already told us. If you're to be crucified, you're already a zero. You're the worst of the worst. But, but Luke doubles down on it with a word called criminals. That word means evildoer. It means that you have no regard for God. They're here. I want you to, to listen how the conversation plays out between these two criminals and Jesus who is in the middle of them. Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung he hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Okay, he sees himself before a very perfect God, and he says, I'm going to just remain here. I know I don't have any hope. My days are done. I don't have any time left to do good. I'm trying to climb this. I didn't climb this. I'm going out kicking and screaming then. Listen to the other guy. Verse 40, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Don't you have a holy reverence for God? Since you're under the same sentence, like, we know we're zeros. Don't you have any reverence for that? Because we, we're, we're side by side of this perfect person here. We're being punished justly, he says, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, and he's acknowledging Jesus now, this man, he has done nothing wrong. And that second criminal, we call him the repentive thief. He knew where he was on the chart. He knew he was a zero, and he recognizes as he charts himself in this little exercise, he's not a 99, he's not a 50, he's, he's closer to here than anywhere else. And friends, if good people go to heaven, does this guy have any chance to be saved? If good people go to heaven, does this guy have a shot of doing any good from here on out so that God will welcome him into his presence? No way. He's got no time left. He can't go back and he can't go make his life right and redo all the wrongs. He can't place a phone call back to his mother whom he may have wounded with words and say, Ma, will you forgive me? He has no chance to make any wrong right. He is out of good, isn't he? Sorry, buddy, you didn't make it. But he knows who he's being executed by. And he even recognizes it. Go, go with me to verse 42 for a moment. And the thief says, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And right in there, this criminal at the very least recognizes that Jesus is the king above all kings. 
that he has a kingdom, that he is a, a king of sorts. And so he has this last ditch effort as he knows he can't accomplish any good. And if you were to think good people only go to heaven, and we didn't know the rest of the story, you'd think that this guy doesn't have a chance, but look how Jesus spins this around on you and me and on this guy. Verse 43, Luke 23, Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me where? In paradise. And the guy's like, listen, Jesus, if there's a reservation open in heaven, like if there's someone happens to cancel, and you can, you can squeeze me in, maybe, because I know I shouldn't be there. I know I don't deserve it. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, let me give you a truth statement. Truly. Bank on it. Count on it. Today, my friend, you will be with me in paradise. Whoa, 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 whoa. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And that's what Jesus is teaching. And now here's the question. Here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Uh, because today, just to make it clear, there are some, in, some of you in this room who believe and have trusted Christ with their life. We're not talking about believe and trust. We're talking about being obedient today and having assurance today in your faith through baptism. Have you, have you been relying on your own goodness is my question to you. Your own goodness to be made right with God. Have you been relying on your own goodness? And here's the second question for you. Has there ever been a day in your life where you have asked God for his forgiveness? Have you been trusting in your own goodness? And has there ever been a day in your life where you just said, God, I need you because I know I am not this? How do you call on Jesus for forgiveness? You know, the gospel, guys, is not very difficult. We've made it so complex, and it's so easy. It's like the ABCs, right? Let's just kind of walk through it simply just like that. First, let's just admit. Admit you have sin. Like, I've got a problem. The problem is sin. God has says, all have sinned. All have fallen short of my glorious standard. And, and friends, your chance of making it to heaven on your own strength are about the same chance that you have of swimming from California to Hawaii under your own strength and making it. You don't have a chance on your own to make it. Oh, you might be able to get to 99, but 99 is not going to cut it because only 100% can make it into God's kingdom. And you're going to need God's grace. You're going to need Jesus' forgiveness to get there. And here's what I would do. Instead of like smugly comparing yourself to your neighbor or to your spouse or to maybe someone on the news or someone who's just definitely not as good as you because you know it, how about you start comparing yourself to maybe the Ten, Com Ten Commandments? Or better yet, how about you start comparing yourself to Jesus himself? And just ask a few questions like, do I always have the same attitude of Jesus? I lost some of you, didn't I? Do I always have the same motivation of Jesus? Do I always have the same love like Jesus expressed? Well, yeah, and then there's not a person in the room that can answer honestly yes to all three of those. So we know where we chart out on this list. And so we just need to admit, we just need to admit, admit before God, I am a sinner who needs a Savior. Because 99 ain't going to cut it. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Like you can't just do good. You can't just follow the rules and think you're going to be okay. Rather, 
through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law is there to, to tell us how much we've failed. The law is there to tell us how much things we've broken. The law is there to tell us that we are not God because we haven't lived up to it 100%. Here's the B, believe. Believe Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Believe is just more, this, more than just a mental agreement. This is more than just like, listen, the demons believe. I want to know how your belief is different than the demons. So some of you are like, I'm super spiritual. Well, demons are super spiritual. You tell me how you're super spiritual for a second. Because believing is this trust that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. He did die, and he did resurrect. It's not some myth that was made up. That was a true historic event. And I trust in that, that he did that for me so that I could have this relationship with God, not just be a rule follower so I can hope to get to God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? We call that the, the good confession. You know, in the book of Acts, it says salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's Jesus who saves us. It's not your goodness, it's Jesus who saves, which leads to the C of the ABCs, and that is just confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, this is, this is not about confessing your sins, right? So it's not something publicly that we do and be like, okay, back in the fourth grade, there was this time when I cheated on this test, okay, and then there's this next time that, no, that's not what we're doing. Confession is to say, I believe that Jesus is Christ, Son of the living God, the great confession of faith. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what will happen? You will be saved, right? Yeah. And when that confession begins, and we admit we're a sinner, and we start believing that Jesus is truly the Son of God, and we want to make him our personal Savior, friends, it's not about being good. It's about relying on Jesus Christ's perfection now. I just want you to remember that Christ went public for you on a hill called the Skull, Golgotha, he hung there and was perhaps the busiest, most public time of the day, and he had you in mind, and he wanted to show you his deep love for you. And he asks that in, in the most public way you can, in the most public way you can, that you confess him as Lord, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Some of you did this when you got married. You stood at an altar of sorts, the preacher stood there with you, and you shook and you were nervous because you knew the gravity of the vows that you are going to make. And friends, you did that very publicly because you wanted to declare your love for your spouse at that time. And friends, God's sitting here saying, I want you to declare for me very publicly a confession that I am going to be your Lord, that I am truly your Savior. Friends, this isn't a matter of the heart. This is a matter of profession of faith. When you become a Christian, God asks you to take a pledge of allegiance. Here's what Jesus actually, he said, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my heavenly Father. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus as your Savior. Confess that he is the Lord of your life. And here's the D. Demonstrate your allegiance to Christ. Demonstrate your belief. Demonstrate that faith. That's what faith is. It's action. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's start with repentance some of you in this room, you believe and you trust Jesus, but you've just never turned away. You've never repented from your old life. Repentance is a military term where you're heading in this direction and you hear the call of God to say, be more like Jesus because you're at zero. You hear him to say, you need to be more like Christ. And so you turn 
and you do an about face, and you head in the direction now of Christ. You head in the direction of the cross, and you rely on God's grace for every stumbling moment that you have in the faith, and it's not that you're going to be a hundred percent, but God is making you more perfect along the journey. Some of you in this room, you wonder why you can't get past your hurt, your habit, or your hang-up. You wonder why, and some of you just have never taken off your spirit and crucified it and taken on Christ's spirit. Some of you just simply aren't walking with the strength that God provides. Some of you aren't walking in the victory that he's, he's promised you. You haven't that, picked that up because you haven't laid yourself down in baptism. You haven't repented. Here's what baptism is all about. It's a benchmark. It's that moment when you say, that's the day. That's the day that I turned. I was here somewhere on the journey, and then I made this commitment to Christ. And that day, that benchmark day, was the day that I coupled my faith and my trust, that I coupled my love for God, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go public with this. I'm going to admit, I'm going to believe, I'm going to confess, now I'm going to demonstrate. And I laid down my life, and I took on the spirit of Christ, and I laid my spirit down. Here's how Paul explains it in Romans. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized in his death? Have you ever shared in that? Have you been baptized into Christ and shared in his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too have a new life. If we've been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Meaning if we're going to die with Christ, we're also going to be raised with Christ. If we're going to lay down our spirit, Christ's spirit's going to welcome us into the presence of God, regardless of where you've charted yourself here. Because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people. Forgiven people too. You've been baptized. I heard about this old preacher by the name of Brother Johnson. Brother Johnson, he had thought that, uh, that baptism should really have an illustration of death and a burial. And so the way that he would baptize somebody is, rather than saying, do you believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God, and then baptizing them and lowering them in the water, he would first lower them into the water. And then he'd say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. By this time, by this time, everybody in the audience is on the edge of their seat. And that guy who's being baptized, his eyes are wide open. He's starting to kick and squirm like a fish underneath the water. And then he finally raises them and says, and now arise in newness in Jesus Christ. And he does out this big gasp because he knows he just came back from the dead, right? We don't do that here, by the way. But what he was trying to teach those and teach his congregation is that baptism has to do with killing our spirit off and welcoming Christ's spirit into our life and becoming new in Christ, a new creation. Are you a follower of Christ? Great. Are you a believer in Christ? Awesome. Do you trust God with your salvation? Phenomenal. Have you been obedient to Jesus Christ's commandment of being baptized? Hey, I'm not saying that you're you're not a believer. I'm not saying that you don't trust Jesus. I'm not saying you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm asking you the simple question. Have you followed through under your own compulsion to be baptized into Jesus Christ? Have you done that? Romans 8:11 says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. We're giving up our spirit for Christ's spirit. Some of you are like, you know what? I've been baptized. Um, I've been poured. I've been sprinkled. 
Let me just ask you this question. Do you think that there's a proper way to be baptized? I'm not trying to be like, open up a can of worms in your life, but just do you think that? Let me kind of state it in a very, with more gravity here. Do you think the Bible has given us a mandate on how we should be baptized? Because it has. You know, this church baptizes by immersion, meaning we submerge underneath the water. And you're saying, why, why, why do you guys do that? That's not the way I did that. That's not the way uh, the tradition of my faith has done it. That's not the way the church where I came from has done it. Why do you guys do it? We, we're a restoration movement church. We try to restore the principles and the methods of the Old Testament church. We don't do that perfectly, but we try to do that the best way we can. And so we, we do our best to try to follow the ways in which they demonstrated their faith and as Christ had commanded it. You know, the first mention of baptism is found when, when John the Baptist is preparing the ministry of Jesus, and he's calling people to repent and to be baptized. And the word for baptism in the English language is really just a Greek word. It's called a transliteration. Anytime you use the word baptized or baptism, you're speaking Greek. It's called baptizo. You see, the translators knew that there'd be so much toying with that word that they were just going to leave it alone. And that word at that time, when Jesus spoke those words, when John spoke those words, when Paul spoke those words, when Peter spoke those words, it all meant one thing, to get dunked, to go under, to be submerged, to represent a death, a burial, a resurrection. Maybe Brother Johnson had it right. And Jesus put it like this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Let me just tell you, when Jesus said those words, he used the word baptizo, to be immersed, to be dunked under your own compulsion, under your own will. Jesus, we're talking about sprinkling, my friend. He would have used the Greek word rontizio. He didn't use that word. If Jesus were talking about being poured here, Jesus would have used that Greek word ekkachio. He didn't. He used the word baptizo, to be immersed. Here's the way I like to think of it. If Jesus were to come to me and say, Matt, for salvation, because you're not good enough, and I know I'm not, for salvation to take place in you, to you for you to receive the grace, uh, I'm commanding you to jump 20 times in the air. I'd say that sounds a little foolish, but since God is commanding that of me, I'm going to do it. And I'll tell you what, I'd make sure that I got 20 times in the air. And I'd have like Chris or Jake or Abby or somebody down here making sure my feet got off the ground and I didn't have some kind of white man jump, you know? And I know what's happened over the course of time. If God were to have come down and say 20 times, toes off the ground, we'd have people come up and say, yeah, but you know what? Aunt Ethel can't jump 20 times. She could probably do once and she could probably just get to her toes. Does that count? And I know how men are. I know how we are. Yeah, that's fine. It's whatever your heart took on that day. God said 20 times in the air. He said, baptizo. Friends, my question today, and I'm not trying to stir anything up. I'm not trying to be crass. Or I'm not trying to be insensitive to you today. Believe me, I'm not. I just want you to be obedient today. I want to be direct and truthful with you today. Ten people came forward for service and said, I believe and I trust I've never been obedient. 
grown men who said, I was baptized in the Catholic tradition. My parents had me baptized as an infant. But today I don't feel the assurance. I want the assurance. I'm not saying you're not saved. No one's saying that today. I'm saying, are you obedient to Christ's command to believe and to be baptized? When Christ set the example for us, the skies broke open. What looked like a dove descended like the Holy Spirit, and God audibly spoke, and he said, this is my son, this is my son. And I am so pleased with what he just did. And God never said a word after that. The only time God spoke is when his son was baptized, and he said, I am pleased with what he's just done. He didn't do that because he wasn't a hundred. He did that to set the example for us, for those who are not a hundred. And anytime you find belief in the scriptures and they want to demonstrate that belief, it's always followed by an expression of baptism. Friends, this is how Jesus did it, right? This is how Jesus did it. Uh, if there was a man that was blind, Jesus would tell them to go and do something. He wouldn't just heal them and heal them. He'd say, no, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Or if the man had a withered hand, he'd say, would you please stretch out your hand? He gave them a meaningful expression so that they could demonstrate their belief, right? Because just to have belief in here is not enough. God says, I know you want to express it in a meaningful way. And so he says, let me have you express that in a meaningful way in baptism. Sharing the death and burial and resurrection of my son, Jesus Christ. And my question to you is, have you been obedient to that. And I am challenging you today, flat out challenging you today to not leave this room, not to get into your car until you've wrestled with that question. And you can walk out of here with assurance that you followed Christ's command. You're not being baptized into a church. Some of you aren't being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You're being obedient. Others of you, though, need to come. Today, you need to come and just admit you're a sinner and confess that you want Christ as Lord and believe that Jesus is Savior and then demonstrate all of that today and receive the Spirit of Christ and walk in the newness of life. I know how this works. You're sitting right now going, I didn't plan for this. But we planned for it. I wasn't ready for this, uh, but we were ready for this. And we've got everything you need, guys. And if you could just humble yourself today before the Lord and make your move today. There is a God in heaven that is so pleased with the decision that you're making. And I ask that you step out in courage and in boldness and not let anything hold you back anymore from having the assurance that you have followed through with what Christ has called us to do.